If we believe in God, we have to trust him to be God. Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today, we've got Eric. Hey. And we've got Karen. Hello. And right now, we do not have Tracy. He's been uh, he's been doing some recovery. Not uh, maybe <laughs> maybe giving a little more information he wants out there. I don't know, but he, he he's been having a little struggle with his with his uh, surgery recovery. So we assume he's probably just resting today. We haven't heard from him. Um, that's probably more information needed. I'll edit that out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, it's uh, it's almost fall or autumn, whichever you prefer to call it. I knew a girl named Autumn once, so maybe I'll go with that one because I kind of liked her. That was a long time ago. That's more that's more of that too much information stuff. I'm all over the place here. Um, but yeah, almost, you know, the, the, the temperatures are getting cooler. The sunshine is still out there. Um, Karen, I guess you're maybe going to get dumped on with rain, huh? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't know why. It's a little bit unusual for this time of year, but we're uh, we're apparently supposed to get like three days straight of rain, like from now. And it's already been raining. Like I'm watching it rain outside. I just moved to Kentucky. For those who are a little behind the curve here, mm-hmm. I just moved to Kentucky, so I'm no longer in Colorado with the rest of the podcast folks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's it's already been raining today. <clears throat> Yesterday it was raining so hard I could barely stay on the road. It was like two-handed driving. And it's supposed to rain every day through Wednesday and then clear up and be gorgeous and sunny. So it that may be that may be the edge effect of Nicholas coming Hurricane Nicholas coming inland. I don't know. Yeah. But kind of unseasonable for us here. The temperatures are temperatures are great though. Low 80s, high 70s during the day and then down into the 50s at night. It's gorgeous. Great. How's how's the humidity on that hair of yours, though? You mean this wild set of corkscrews growing out of my head? That? <laughs> we have our very own Merida from the movie Brave on the show. And uh, it looks fantastic. What do you think of that? I turned my camera on. How's that? Is that good? That is, that is yeah, awesome. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> there's a reason it's pulled back it like i i got up this morning and i walked into the bathroom and i was just like whoa that is actually standing out almost a half a foot from either side of my head where is a hair rubber band it's like big 80s with adventure through the bible <laughs> <laughs> yes with 50 percent less mullets though <laughs> yeah we're gonna have amy grant on the show later folks and <laughs> 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 I'm just kidding. She probably would never give us the time of day. <laughs> oh gosh. No, I, I basically had I was right. I haven't been cute since I left Colorado, so I don't even know. <laughs> I was gonna try dating when I get out here, and then every morning I look in the mirror and I'm like, mm, maybe not today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a market out there for kinky red hair. I, I yeah, guarantee it. I don't know where you're going with that, but just stop. That was the wrong word to use. <laughs> well, Matt's going to be busy editing. <laughs> How does Tracy say that? Gems on the cutting room floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be Matt's got to pull his foot out of his mouth again. <laughs> <laughs> wrong choice of words. Wrong choice of words. <laughs> oh, funny, funny, funny. 
well, I think it's funny. I laugh at me, guys. <laughs> oh gosh, let's uh, let's get into our discussion here. We had some uh, some interesting reading this week. We are talking about Isaiah chapters twenty three through twenty seven. Now, last week we kind of we were getting into some of this too, where there is a whole lot of judgment coming down on a really large region because we were talking mostly about Israel and Judah and their their split kingdoms. But we've seen that some of that judgment is now it's spreading out to all the all the areas around them as well, which was kind of interesting because last week we were kind of talking about how how the 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 shortness of human memories tends to make us fall away from God. And it seemed like that was really what was kind of happening with Israel and Judah. They're constantly having to be reminded that God pulled them out of, of Egypt and, and has done so many miracles for them and has been with them all the time. And uh, so we can kind of understand what's happening all with, with them, but now all these areas around them that have been bad influences or have possibly been, not influenced well enough by Israel, they're they're having their own struggles now too, and they're getting their judgments from God. And so chapter 23 starts with uh, the nation of Tyre. Now we've talked about Tyre quite a bit. Well, maybe not quite a bit. That's maybe the wrong way to say it, but um, it's not unfamiliar with us at this point because we've talked about how they, they had uh, some trade agreements with Israel in the past and they would uh, supply cedar logs and it seemed like a lot of cedar like pretty much as much as anybody wanted with uh they, they would trade with israel and israel would would uh send them uh stuff back and um it sounds here like like their uh their economic status is going to be knocked down it starts out with um talks about the ships of tarshish specifically and if we if you recall Tarshish was known for for having having boats, having a a, a navy of not maybe navy is probably the wrong because it didn't seem like Tarshish or um, Tyre's uh, ships were were primarily military, but they were it was a trade. big it was all for trade, and um, that's that seems like that's where where they are going to get hit the hardest here is that is that their trade is, is kind of getting knocked out from under them. Is that the way you guys saw that? Very much so. And that rang a bell of familiarity to me as far as like looking ahead to other things that it says in the Bible where <clears throat> Jesus says it's easier for a rich man to, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to go and in, enter into heaven. And then like in Revelation where they're, you know, like the local trade system in the world is hammered. And I just, I think, I ended up thinking that a nation's ability to self-sustain oftentimes creates a sense of independence and then they don't look to God. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, nations and individuals seem like the better off we are. Sometimes uh, the less likely we are to look to God. And uh, maybe that's the case with with Tyre here. What did you think of the comparison uh, towards the end of that chapter that uh, was was laid on Tyre of uh, basically an, an aged prostitute who has to advertise herself to try to entice customers who once willingly came to her? 
It's not a flattering. Very not flattering. Not, not a not not a flattering comparison. Um, but you can kind of you can kind of uh, get the imagery there uh, of how I mean, really, I mean, really, kind of how sad, kind of, kind of how sad of a of an imagery that is too. I mean, being compared to a prostitute in in the first place is probably not uh, something every anybody wants to get compared to. Uh, but then one that nobody is really interested at all anymore. Um, uh, so yeah, it's... that's that's in um, in chapter twenty three. That's in verses fifteen and sixteen, basically, mm-hmm. and seventeen. But that it starts talking into the future. Yeah. So, well, I mean, all of us talking into the future, but past past the era of God's punishment. Let me just say it that way. But mm. so I've got this parallel Bible. And so this this these were interesting verses to look at in the side by side version here. So the verses 15 and 16 in New King James says, now it shall come to pass in that day that Tyre will be forgotten 70 years, according to the days of one king. At the end of 70 years, it will happen to Tyre, as in the song of the harlot. Take a harp, go about the city, you forgotten harlot. Make sweet melodies, sing many songs that you may be remembered. So um, I didn't take it as a trying to entice current customers. It was just trying to be like any kind of like any kind of valid memory to anyone. It's because mm-hmm. that's the whole thing is Tyre will be forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. I think that really is the point where they were once once desirable and sought sought out and they will be. Uh, then in a position of having to entice people to come to them. Now, chapter 24, uh, I found quite interesting, actually. It, it begins with the title of impending judgment on the earth. So now mm-hmm. we're not just we're not just talking about now we're not just talking about a few a handful of of nations surrounding, you know, the promised land, if you want to call it that. Uh, but now we're talking about the whole earth, which it seems pretty clear to me that here Isaiah is really talking about end times and not just not just you know the immediate future for for what's happening um in the time that we're reading uh it talks about how the earth he's going to make the earth empty and waste and all the inhabitants are going to be scattered with no exceptions based on status or position oh verse five is interesting the earth is defiled under its inhabitants because they have transgressed the laws changed the ordinance and broken the everlasting covenant so if we're talking about end times here and now we are living, you know, I, I think and I think the two of you kind of agree that we are probably living in something very close to the end times when um, the popular notion is that the, the old, you know, the old covenant is is gone, which, of course, we know the old covenant is 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 uh, was done away with at the cross. Um, but we talked about transgressing laws, changing ordinances. Um, Isaiah seems to be pointing forward to a time when what in what modern Christianity would generally consider those things to have been set aside. What do you am I making sense? What is that? What do you think of that? I think it depends on what you mean by covenant. And that's where mm-hmm. the discussion starts is there were many covenants that God made with his people. He made a covenant with Abraham that he would have a son. He had Mm -hmm. a covenant that he would build a nation. Before that, 
he had a covenant of sacrifice. I mean, we see that back in the Garden of Eden. Cain and Abel are performing a sacrifice, and they have an argument, and the first murder is um, involved with the uh, topic, although it's not explicit exactly what's going on. It's implied by the context that this has to do with an issue of worship and sacrifice. These, this, there are many covenants. There are, there are uh, many laws that, um, that Moses shared with the people that came from God. Let's be clear about this. This isn't Moses's law. Um, God gave these things, and if we look at the Christophanies, uh, it was Jesus giving these laws to Moses, and many of them for, for their health and welfare in the desert as they're uh, transiting the desert. Then there's the Ten Commandments. We have the Ten Commandments that, that show up, and Jesus references these later on. And so which one are we talking about? That's kind of the, mm-hmm. the crux of this thing. Mm-hmm. I guess where I'm coming at it from is you call you you we we hear so often these days that the law was done away with on the cross right and so so this verse five it has me wondering okay what what laws is isaiah talking about um uh, i i've always seen a difference between moral law and ceremonial laws ceremonial law that's what i'm looking for you have the entire sacrificial system Mm-hmm. which is, I'm just going to say it, I believe that that is the covenant that is spoken of, that God would provide a lamb. <clears throat> mm-hmm. We see this back with Abraham. That That is the covenant that was done away with because it was finished, not because it didn't work. And I've heard this from people. It's like, well, the first covenant was that God, that everybody was supposed to keep God's laws, and then that was supposed to save them. And when that didn't work, God came up with Plan B, and that was Jesus. And so that's what we did. I don't think God ever had to go to Plan B. Uh, plan A was always that Jesus would be the sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb for us. I mean, come on, re- read the read the story of the Last Supper as Jesus is dealing with his disciples. And he's saying, look, this is me. This is me we're talking about. This is the, the culmination of all these things. Um, and so when it, when Jesus on the cross says it is finished, I think that's the reason he says it's finished instead of I changed my mind. Let's do this instead. <clears throat> right. So we have. We have Jesus finishing. What was set out to begin with, which was his sacrifice. And we see this and we've noted this in the podcast many, 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 many times is that the salvation that the saints in the Old Testament here saw was God's salvation. It was never their salvation. They never earned it. It was always through faith. I mean, don't believe me? Read Hebrews 11. It's called the faith chapter, and everyone in the faith chapter is from the Old Testament. Okay, Mm -hmm. so there we go. Faith is quite clearly what's happening in the Old Testament. Now, if we wonder that, that all laws are done away with, then Jesus is talking crazy talk when he is speaking to his disciples in the latter third of the book of John, where he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Why would he be saying that if in 24 hours he was going to nail everything to the cross and say, yeah, pretty much you just wing it from here on out. Yeah. Why would yeah. Jesus be saying, if you love me, keep my commandments? I mean, he says it over and over and over and over and over in John. Also, why? Why would we flash forward into Revelation and find something like this in Revelation 14, uh, 12? 
Here is a call for endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Well, if the commandments are all gone, then the book of Revelation has it wrong Mm -hmm. because we have God's people keeping God's commandments. And this is not the only place in Revelation. We have that over and over in Revelation. So this, our covenants, we have to be really careful what we're talking about when we, when we just throw out the law. Because there's ceremonial law, there's the sacrificial law, there's the health laws, you know, don't eat bats. I mean, we talked about that back when we talked about the Jonah. We, we get pretty careless when we talk about law, and usually, this is human nature, we pick whichever law we don't like, and we say, yeah, that's the one that's done. Yeah. Right? And I think if we're going to be true seekers, we need to let the Bible speak for itself, and instead of us picking what it is that we want. We need to look at what what is God talking about? And right here, we have a universal judgment talking about last day events. Now, it's in the Old Testament, but this is not addressing Old Testament people or issues. This is addressing, as Matt said, everlasting. This is, this is like last day events. And if we believe that prophets, in fact, can and do speak of future things, Isaiah is talking about something in the future, and what he says is God is going to judge the earth and its people, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, and broken the, I don't know, Karen, maybe your parallel Bible can shed some light on this. The ESV says everlasting covenant. It doesn't say, well, until about the uh, year A.D. 30 covenant. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's what uh, the New King James uses, too, is everlasting covenant. Um, Actually, I've got both translations and both paraphrases. Three of the four say everlasting covenant. Hmm. And the fourth one says eternal covenant. So they pretty much just stick right with it, which to me, that's just the gospel. Mm -hmm. That's Jesus. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think and kind of I think what Eric's there is saying is that that was always the covenant. It always was. And that the, you know, the sacrificial system that had been put out there of taking an actual lamb to the priest and cutting its throat and having it cut up and pieces of it burned on the fire, that was all that was all representative of what was to come. And now we look back and and, and see it as, you know, Jesus on the cross. But that was that was always the covenant was was that was that God was going to provide the lamb god was going to provide himself and and uh and be that sacrifice and by breaking that i guess i guess that is talking about not accepting that not uh not believing in that not um claiming that i mean really i mean that's that's what it boils down to today is we just we claim that for ourselves and if we don't i mean if we're trying to maybe earn it on our own somehow or um, just ignoring it, that's the way that we would then break that covenant. But, you know, when it talks about transgressing the laws, I mean, obviously it doesn't make sense to say things like the Ten Commandments were tossed out because obviously it's still wrong to commit murder. It's still wrong to commit adultery. Uh, Idolatry is still wrong. You know, those Ten Commandments are still, they still make sense within a covenant of love. And that's what a lot of times I hear is, you know, well, now we're under the law of love, which... Yes, we always were. Um, and that's what the that's what the Ten Commandments spell out. And then when Jesus expanded on those by, you know, saying things like even 
even having anger in your heart towards somebody was falls underneath that that commandment of murder or uh, just looking at a woman lustfully falls under the commandments of against adultery. Um, well, and the, not... and, the reason for, and the reason for that is is exactly what you just said, because it is a law of love. Mm-hmm. So love is the fulfillment of the law, like it says that right in mm-hmm. the New Testament. Yeah. And and so going back to the heart of the matter that causes the behavioral issue is simply addressing the actual like remember remember, remember when we read the book of Jonah. And mm-hmm. it turned out that the whole reason that Jonah ran away was because at the at the you know he goes and he preaches to Nineveh and Nineveh says oh shoot you're right we have totally messed up and the whole city repents from the king to the children right mm-hmm. and then God says okay well then I won't destroy you and Jonah goes J- Jonah goes I knew you were gonna do that this is why I ran away in the first place because <laughs> I know you're a God of compassion and love and that you wouldn't follow through. Right. So mm-hmm. it's like that's the heart of that's the heart of love. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that right there revealed the problem in Jonah's heart, if you see what I'm getting at. Like yeah. what what is in our heart is what is the, the the root of the problem that comes out in our behavior. And that's what Jesus was addressing when he said it's not murder. It's also hatred. Mm-hmm. It's not adultery. It's also lust. Yeah. And I think, well, I think that, you know, when we talk about loving God, too, then then it's also going to include doing what God said. If you, you know, like Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And some people might try to say, well, that doesn't go all the way back to he's not talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the things that he specifically told uh, the apostles. But if you love God. Why wouldn't you want to do what he says to do? Right. So. um, So that's. uh, but that's this is this is what has defiled the earth is that people have they have ignored God they have acted against God they have um, they've you know mankind has basically done everything they can to do everything that God said not to do and and that's that's why uh, that's why the earth is is defiled. Uh, and because of this, you can we can keep reading on. We see that all the things that bring, bring people joy, uh, they simply won't anymore because they're going to be done away with, essentially. Um, it talks about new wine failing and vines languishing and, you know, this is the mirth of the tambourine ceases. So basically everything that uh, everything that was making bringing you joy, it, it, it won't. It's just going to kind of stop being uh for whatever reasons and um it's interesting to see how i don't know i mean i guess and maybe it's it's as uh, as i get older and maybe this is common with people as they get older but uh the, the world just has a whole lot less interest for you anymore the things that that when you were a kid were like really really cool now you look at them and, and as they've continued you go yeah that's kind of not important, um, which is not exactly what it's talking about here. I think it's more talking about literally things just falling apart. And, uh, you know, I mean, if the if the world gets to a point where it's uh, not able to produce, maybe we don't have anything to sing about anymore, you know? Well, I, I think I think the crux of this whole thing is the same thing as it was with Tyre. If the earth fails to produce, we have nothing to lean on and feel mm-hmm with anymore and that's what it is like I think that all of this as I read all of these chapters 
there were a few texts and proverbs that kept coming to mind. There was the one that says, um, um, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it is destruction. Mm-hmm. You know? um, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. You know, the... Uh, the way of the wicked, here was one I stumbled across when I was looking for those others. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble, right? And I think that the, I think that we we think we're doing fine. We feel self-reliant because look, our little world is going along just like it ought to. And so we stop looking toward God to be our answer and our definition and our everything, and we become self-reliant. And basically what we're seeing here in Isaiah is he's gone through nation after nation as their time, as the time was correct for them. Nineveh had its time. When it was Nineveh's time, when they were ready, he sent Jonah, right? All these other nations, he sends Isaiah. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. And eventually we get to the point where it's going to be the whole earth. And yeah, it's, you know, Definitely, uh, I feel like it's the time that we're living in, but that's just because everything around me is ramping up past what I've ever seen before in my life. Who knows? It could get worse long after I'm dead. But my perspective of that is, wow, how much worse can it get before this whole thing just implodes? Yeah. Something you were saying there just in a second, Karen, had me curious about something, and obviously we won't know the answer. But do do you think that these messages to these different nations did Isaiah go there and preach these to them? I, I wonder. Don't, I don't, you don't think, think so. so. No, probably maybe maybe letters or just speaking in general. And uh, um, I mean, as far as I know, he could have written it out so that the Israelites could see it happen and see their own impending doom coming their way. Mm, yeah. No, we don't. We don't know. I mean, this this could have been things that he wrote and didn't necessarily turn loose into the public square for, you know, a little light reading after dinner. Yeah. We don't know, but no, I I've never had any impression that Isaiah went to any other kingdom or nation and like walked the streets and proclaimed this or that. Yeah. No, it definitely doesn't say that. It just was a point of uh, possibility in my brain there for a second, but you're probably right. It probably was kept more or less local. But this is that there were God was you know we see this in the New Testament I'm not sure where it is that God is reaching out to all people at all times in all nations. Mm-hmm. So whether this was published or spoken to these nations or not, God was working with these people. If you remember Jesus at the at the when he was speaking to the woman at the well, after the woman had gone back to the city in Samaria, then the disciples show up and they're kind of um, a little bit stunned. Uh, Jesus says something very interesting to them. He he talks about the harvest being ready and looking for workers. And he says to them, this, essentially, this harvest is ripe because others have done the work ahead of you. Wait a minute. That's like, oh, the disciples were blown away by this, is that God had already been working in Samaria? Like, that, that was amazing to them that these mm-hmm. Samaritans were, were ready to accept Christ because something had been going on. So how the people in Tyre or Babylon or whatever had been reached, you know, we don't know explicitly in every case. 
But I'm saying this because I believe that God is thorough in that he reaches to people and invites them to repent before there's judgment, just like the book of Jonah. He doesn't just show up and say, well, you know, I sent you an email, but it went to your spam folder. But too bad you're accountable for it. (laughs) It wasn't like that. that He reached out to these people in one way or another. Mm -hmm. There's just there's so much going on in 24 and in 25 that it's hard to, I guess it's possible, but I would, I would say this to our listeners. If somebody has an explanation to you and their explanation to undo what the Bible clearly says is far more fantastical than just what the Bible says, take note of that and pray for the Holy Spirit to help you unpack what the Bible's actually saying. Because 24 and going into 25, it's, over and over there are words that say this is a universal thing. This is a universal judgment about everlasting covenants. We're talking about transgressing laws. If you're not sure which ones, well, take that to God. You know, pray about it. But this is such a big deal that in verse 21 of chapter 24, it says, On that day the Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven. This is, when we say universal, this actually kind of gives it a new scope. We are actually zooming out from just beyond this planet, even. Isaiah in chapter 14, we discussed this uh, a week or two ago. We're talking about, you know, even celestial beings. This talks about in the New Testament, too, and especially Revelation, that there are forces at work in the world. Paul says, you know, we battle against not, we, we battle against, you know, not just flesh and blood. These are spiritual battles we're going into. And Isaiah 14 talks about, Isaiah 14, 12, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star. Of dawn, you how you were cut down to the ground, and the, we're talking about a, a a a rebellion in the universe, and so in in Isaiah twenty four we get to on that day the Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven the kings of the earth on the earth they'll be gathered together like prisoners in a pit they'll be shut up in prison after many days will be punished then the moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed for the Lord of hosts reigns. This is a big deal. This is not a this is not a regional to the Middle East kind of thing that's happening here as we look at chapters 24 and especially as we get into chapter 25. There's stuff that Revelation just flat out quotes from Isaiah, just flat out quotes from Isaiah. So the idea that ah, this is just some, you know, Middle Eastern prophet talking to a to a tribe of people that were, you know, coming and going and their whole ceremony, all the stuff that they did, that's just a, you know, a piece of dust in the history. Well, if you believe in the New Testament being right and you believe that Revelation has something to say to us, then you, we all should be taking notes from Isaiah and trying to figure out what Isaiah is saying and why, because it shows up again verbatim in Revelation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it definitely doesn't talk about, I mean, we're definitely ta- not talking about like an era of peace coming. I know I've heard that sometimes, too. Like there's going to be this great era of peace on 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 Earth or something, uh, which yeah, I've never I've quite understood. I've been hearing a lot lately also. It's like, hmm. Yeah. Okay. Like, I don't know which Earth you're looking at because the one I'm looking at um, is not getting better. I know some people might think it's getting better based on some of the cultural uh things going on but um but but you just you look at you look at the world and you look at 
at the way things are happening and they're falling further and further away from uh, what it would seem like the Bible has actually said uh, would be good, you know, so um, you know, we're talking about the earth getting broken and split and shaken and and uh, and all this happens before God before God, as it says, before God reigns. Obviously, he's he's in charge of everything, but um seems like we're 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 looking at some not great times ahead so um just as a just as a little uh reminder to everybody us and everybody who's listening i think it's important we haven't come to it yet in isaiah but it's a pretty famous passage in isaiah 55 that talks about like god is saying like my ways are not your ways right as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts and my ways than your ways, right? We simply do not have God's perspective on how to get things done. And one of my favorite passages in the Bible has to do with kind of what we're talking about, like this whole, like, you know, the what are the last few chapters we've read here in Isaiah? Like, woe to this nation and woe to that nation and woe to that nation over there and then woe to the entire earth, right? But here from... Second Peter 3, it says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And then down a few verses, it says, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Right? Mm-hmm. And that reminds me of that the time back in Genesis when God is talking to Abraham and he says, well, this land is going to be yours. It's going to belong to your descendants, your huge multitude of descendants, but you, but they can't have it for 400 years because I'm still working with the locals. Mm-hmm. Right? That's God's scale of working with people. Like he's, he's got this, this huge, Thing going on that is so much deeper, broader, everything than anything we could even imagine. And so we're sitting down here in our little timeline, not being able to see or feel any of that going, come on, why isn't anything happening? Or conversely, why is everything happening so fast? (laughs) (laughs) Depending on the year. Um, but But the simple fact is there's bigger stuff happening than what we can see. And if we believe in God, we have to trust him to be God. And so when this, you know, these, I love the fact that in this week's reading, there were these sort of dire uh, chapters about, you know, what's going to happen to this nation and that nation and what's going to happen to the earth. But then, then it goes into a couple of chapters of some really good stuff. 20, uh, chapter 25 begins with some praise for God. Uh, and I've got here in quotes because his counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. A lot of times people today, they think the Bible is just old fashioned. They think that the things written in it now, they're all there for a different culture and they were for thousands of years ago. How is that still relevant to us today? Well, you know, this is, this is talking about how God's, God's instructions for us, God's counsel has always been in faithfulness and truth. It's always, it's, uh, you know, we've talked about a universal judgment. Well, we're talking about a universe, some universal truth here as well, where where God's uh, leading has always been for the betterment of mankind. And 
it's when we don't listen to it that things start to fall apart. Uh, you know, we used to we 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 read oh, back when you know it was always whenever just before things would go bad, you'd always hear the phrase and everyone did what was right in his own mind. Oof. Yeah, and uh, that always that always was followed up then with something that went wrong every single time. So so God's uh, God's instructions are for our benefit. They always have been, always will be. And that's that's what we're talking about here in Isaiah 25. He talks about I, how... Go ahead. I had a question about a couple of verses here. I don't know if, uh-huh. you, if you guys noticed these at all. But starting in verse 6, it says what God is going to do. Like, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. And then here we go. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that unfold, that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Did that? Did you guys notice that? Yep. That's such an interesting way to describe death. Well, it's a universal thing. We're, we're talking about universal things here. And again, you can look at Revelation 7, 17, where uh, John... Um, shows this again. And so it, it creates this problem if we're going to take the Old Testament and say, well, that that's not in play anymore. It's like, well, then do you pull all the parts in the New Testament that refer to the Old Testament? You're going to have a very, 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 very thin New Testament. And you basically won't have the book of Revelation, which I think there are some forces in the universe would like to see that just go away. Yes. But this is... This is straight up God saying, you know, while I'm at this business of uh, universal judgment, as Karen said, God is saying, hey, this this is for the people who do wickedly. Judgment, remember, is bad for those who have done wrong, and it is vindication for those who have done right. So this is this is God um, swallowing up death and even better is verse 9 it will be said on that day behold this is our god we have waited for him that he might save us this is the lord we have waited for him let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation it says right here in old testament this is his salvation it's not ours it's not like yay we did all the right thing and checked all the boxes this is god's salvation and this idea that behold this is our god we have waited for him oh my Read the beginning of Revelation. How many times does it talk about patience and waiting and waiting and patience? It's it's right there again. And this this is, I believe, to give hope in the midst of all this judgment and the, the, the earth swaying and splitting open and <clears throat> all these other things is God is assuring his people, hey, when this stuff happens, actually, this is the best day of your life. Because this is when judgment happens and God shows up and is is there to rescue his people. Yeah, and that, that uh, the, you know, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him. That shows up in Revelation also. Yep. Yeah, the, the, the chapter kind of ends talking about Moab being trampled down. And um, I, don't, I, I don't think that's, I don't think that's, talking literally there i think it's talking more of a figurative about this constant enemy 
we've yeah. you know how, how many times have we heard about Israel having to deal with the Moabites, but it seems here it's more of a figurative where this constant enemy is finally defeated, and isn't going to be isn't going to be a, a problem anymore. And we get into chapter twenty six, and we now we're tar- talking about um, a, a city where like the faithful the pe- says the people who keep the truth. This is this is a city for them. Uh, verse three talks about perfect peace for the person who stays focused on God and trusts in God. What what, what do you what do you what do you think of that perfect peace for people who trust in God? I guess we've talked about this kind of before, where following God doesn't necessarily mean that everything goes well for you. So how does that relate to perfect peace if we trust in Him, even when things continue to go bad for us, or is this talking about something else? Look, if we don't look at the Bible as talking about spiritual things, we, we end up with some very, very interesting, wacky stuff <laughs> that doesn't jive with reality that we have, right? Mm-hmm. Is that God is concerned, very concerned, at the cost of his own son with our eternal salvation. And that's where he starts. That's the core. And so when he's talking about nations and so on, he's talking about nations that touch the people through whom Christ comes. It isn't as if God is unaware of things happening in Asia at this time, right? Mm -hmm. I don't believe God is unaware of things happening in North and South America. He doesn't talk about them because those things are not things that lead to the the crux of the matter, which is the salvation of the world, which is achieved only through Christ's sacrifice, right? I mean, we have no man comes to the Father except through me. This is Jesus talking. So that's the most, because if that is the thing, there's only one pass to get through the mountains, well, then all his energy and his intention is focused on that. So when we talk about, you, you know, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, I believe that this this is a parallel type thing to the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, where Jesus is talking about spiritual things. And so when we're talking about this devastation that's happening on the earth and so on, this is me saying my peace is in God, that I am with him because he said, hey, I will be here for you. I will take care of you. That's the peace we have because we have Daniel. I mean, he was taken captive by a foreign nation and taken out of his home. If it was if we assume that peace means, oh, you always get to stay home and, um, you know, do things your own way, well, then it doesn't jive with what happens in the Bible at all. That if we look at these things in spiritual peace, now Daniel in the lion's den makes sense. Now the three Hebrews, you know, who are stand before Nebuchadnezzar, who say, we don't have to make a defense to you. Whether we live or die, God has us. That kind of peace makes sense with what we see here in Isaiah 26, 3. Not the perfect peace as in, you'll never get cancer. You'll never have relationship problems. You'll yeah. never have financial difficulties. Um, there's there's that, uh, I think it's John 16, where Jesus is talking to the disciples. And he's saying, well, you know, this and this and this is going to happen. And then he finishes it by saying, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world, right? And then 
This one I had to go look up. I knew Paul said it, but I couldn't remember. But it was in Philippians 4 where, where Paul gives this little blurb of advice. It says, and, and it's, it's a sequence of things that comes to a result. So rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to, to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, in other words, from our earthly point of view, it does not make sense, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, and that and that's where it all comes back. I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me. Yep. Like that's that's the promise. And it's it's um I like the way Paul says it. It's, I think it's in one of the Corinthians. He says, you know, a foot soldier doesn't concern himself about the big movements in the world. A foot soldier concerns himself only with the orders of his commanding officer. Right. He doesn't he leaves the bigger things to the higher authorities. And he concerns himself by putting one foot in front of the other as his commanding officer directs because he trusts his commanding officer. And I and as the world is going crazy, I have thought back on that and been like, okay, where do you want me? Where do I put my foot next? Because I'm rapidly losing my rather, let's let's just be honest here. I'm as independent as the next person, possibly a little more so. I don't like having to set aside my own ability to analyze something and come up with a good solution. I trust my brain. It's always served me well. But the world is winding up into something far beyond what makes any kind of sense. And it can only be spiritual war warfare, you know, that is that just far bigger than what I can understand. And when it comes to that, that's it. I'm blind. All I can do to tur is turn to God and say, where do you want me? What do you want me to do next? The the well, let's see verse seven here was sticking out to be the way of the just is uprightness. Um, you know when we're talking about this perfect peace, having this perfect peace. You know I think there's a lot that actually comes from uh, of peace that comes from doing what you know is right, yeah. um, or doing what God has told us is right. And uh, as things fall apart, and sometimes you find yourself being maybe the only one in the room who's who's doing the right thing i guess that doesn't mean it's always a time to stand up and point your fingers and say you guys are doing the wrong thing but holding on to that piece that that you are doing what god has told you is right even even if you maybe get a little ridicule from the people around you but just just uh holding on holding on to that that idea that um that god has given you instructions and you're following with it and the verse go go ahead I was going to say, you know, verse, verse um, eight and nine. Yeah, that's where I was going. I mean, this is this is this is a seeker. This is Isaiah. I mean, it just sounds like one of the Psalms that is saying, you know, I'll read it. Oh, Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. This isn't this isn't somebody who's like now. Let me see if I can find an exception. Let me see how I how much how little I can do. That's right. just not the tone I hear here. Right, right. I like the rest of that verse too. Um, 
by my spirit within me, I will seek you early for when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. We aren't going to figure this out by ourselves, folks. I saw an interesting distinction here in verse nine. And maybe it's just me, but I saw an interesting distinction here between soul and spirit. We a lot of times we tend to lump those two those two things together as meaning the same thing. But I was seeing here that we're talking about desire of the soul. And to me, that's more like saying that when we're talking about our soul, we're talking about something, you know, like basic desires, wants, needs, things like that. And then when it talks about spirit, seeking with your spirit, with when you're talking about your spirit, that's almost like a higher intellect. It's like it's like it's um, your 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 intentions when you when you actually make efforts and, and such both kind of talking about things of our of our psychological nature and maybe Karen you have a little more that you could say on this with your education but you know a different a difference between the parts of us that have like basic wants versus the parts of us that understand our needs does that make sense am i drawing too much out of that say it again the difference between the spirit and soul. Soul being about desire, spirit being about conscious effort. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I think that gets. I, I think that gets down. I, I would, in order to put any teeth into that, I would want to go back to the original language and look at the nuances. And I don't know that sort of thing. Yeah, I'm probably. You know, I mean, it, you, it could, was just... you could you could modern connotate that half a dozen different ways but i i don't know what was this isaiah probably written in hebrew i don't know yeah. the original words or the subtleties yeah. that go with those i mean a different word is chosen but i don't know what those words mean right yeah i don't know everything, that's the thing is it's every part of you yeah is it's is it's the unspoken like you just feel it like oh, i can't even like express this with words and there's the part like well let me think about this it's it's all of it it's it's all of us want this God and his righteousness, and we're seeking him right here. We earnestly seek you with everything. You know, it says elsewhere, when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. This isn't a passing like, ah, as long as I got a, as long as I got a verse on my refrigerator on a magnet, I'm good. Mm -hmm. No, <laughs> this is this is very much more than showing up for an hour on the weekend for church. This is a, this is a total mind body experience seeking God. And then the flip side of that kind of comes out in verse 10. Yep. It talks about being great. Let me read it here. Cause it's interesting. Let grace be shown to the wicked yet. He will not learn righteousness. So that, that is interesting because I mean, whoever wants Whoever wants to show grace to somebody who's treated them badly, you know, uh, it's not generally the first thing on our mind. But here it's like God is definitely saying, or I suppose through Isaiah, but he's saying, show them grace, show them. And I take that as being show them, show them how things ought to be. But then it flips right around and says, but don't they're not going to understand it. As long as they're wicked, as long as they can insist on on reveling in their wickedness, as long as they insist on remaining wicked, they're not going to understand that grace. But show it to them anyway. I thought that was kind of yeah. interesting. Yeah, the message is one of the paraphrases that I have. And the way it worded, it was kind of interesting. It says, if the wicked are shown grace, they don't seem to get it. 
In the land of right living, they persist in wrong living, blind to the splendor of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and that seems like to be talking. That. Yeah, it seems to be talking about those people who just always get it wrong. It's like, how can you always get it wrong? But it seems because they're not trying, they're not interested in finding out the right ways, you know. Uh, it's just, it's very interesting. But as long as somebody remains wicked, as long as they, as that's what they're, that's what they want, put that into the, 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 the desires and seeking, they're just, they're not going to get it. And so right. all you can do is try to show them, and, but don't uh, try to beat them over the head with it. Right. And this is, this could be read by like, oh, well, who's God to judge these people who just don't, who don't understand it? No. God used every method available to speak to these people and to us so that we will be without excuse. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this isn't a matter of God tried to explain calculus to him and they're like, oh, I just don't understand. No, he's having his prophet walking around in his underwear saying, okay, do you see that? Mm -hmm. That's what's going to happen to you if you keep doing the bad things you're doing. Okay, that's pretty simple. He, he, Jesus said to this, I kept sending you, pro, this, this, the parable of the vineyard, remember? It's like there was a man who built a vineyard, and then he rented it out to other tenants. And then what does he say? I sent just one message, but you didn't understand it. And so I was like, oh, well, no. He sent messenger after messenger after messenger, and that prophet after prophet. Some they killed, some they stoned, some they just threw out and beat up. He's like, well, okay, I'll send my son. And it wasn't that they didn't understand, it's that they did understand and didn't want it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I like, um, I can't remember where it is in the New Testament, but I like where it says that even nature speaks of God's character so that no person is without excuse. Like, let's say you just happen to be the one person who never hears the gospel in any sort of sincere form or sees a good example of Christianity living around you, the very beauty and complexity and structure of nature speaks to God's plan so that no one is without excuse. Yeah. Yeah. The verse 11 talks about how the fire of God's enemies will devour them. So these things that they keep clinging onto and they're, you know, I mean, sometimes the, the, I guess the wicked, the way they act against other people, that's going to come back on them. That's what's going to destroy them. That's what, uh, uh, that's where their downfall is, is going to be, is in their own, it's of their own, it's their own making. You know, so, I, so many times I, people have this idea that God is sitting there waiting to smite you. He's got his finger hovering over the smite button and he's going to, he's going to punch that button as soon as you do something wrong. Well, no, that's not what's being said here. This is like, you know, no, it's your own constant choosing to do the wrong thing. Even though you know what's you, I think it's generally speaking, I think most people know what should be right. I hear a lot of times about people talking about, you know, my father was a terrible, terrible person. And if God is the father of heaven, then I want nothing to do with him. Or, you know, if God's our father, it's like, but, but you, I bet in your mind, you have an idea of what a good father ought to be, you know? And if you know what a good father ought to be, then you should be able to recognize 
when we say that God is the father, that that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about the guy who's just, you know, comes home and 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 punches his his wife and kids. We're talking about a guy who is loving and nurturing and and and, uh, you know, you know what we know a good father ought to be. So we can we can you we I think we can tell the difference of, OK, I I know what should be and um, this isn't it. And, and yeah. I think that's why that's why this uh, tears them down. Not to discount the power of people's experiences. The devil oh, knows sure. what he's doing when he tries to pervert the natural order and structure of things and get our earthly leaders, our earthly mentors, our earthly fellow Christians, people who are supposed to show God's love and will to lash out at other people and misbehave instead. That causes tremendous damage. But God is there for it. He's mm-hmm. there to still try to catch your attention. Yeah. Yeah. And let's not forget that as we're studying this, you know, God's punishing and God's judging and all these other things. And this this can easily fall into the, quote, Old Testament God. Jesus says to his disciples, if you have seen me, you have seen the father. Mm-hmm. So this idea that, like, no, I like the New Testament Jesus, not the Old Testament God. No, Jesus just says flat out, that's not the deal. It's one and the same. You know, right. and our assumption that, that God is a one-faceted uh, operation is our limited sight, not a reality that reflects on him. But when we're reading these things is that Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so we need to, we need to be aware of that as we, as we keep reading this. And over and over and over, we see God reaching out to his people to say no. This is not okay. This will hurt you in the end. I we, we see. I think there's a really interesting uh, phrase right down here. In uh, we're in chapter 26 and 16. Oh Lord, in distress they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer. I'm not sure that's a sincere one. When your discipline was upon them, like a pregnant woman who writhes and cries out in pangs when she is near giving birth, so were we because of you, Lord, because of the judgments that are happening to them. We were pregnant, we writhed, but we gave birth to wind. Nothing. Mm-hmm. So they're saying we have accomplished no deliverance in the earth. The best we can do is nothing. That's what the, the, right out here we're saying. The best we can do is nothing. And the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. And then God shows up. Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. There's a contrast here between what God can achieve, which is raising the dead, and what we can achieve, which is nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and speaking of that, let me back up just a bit here to verses 12 and 13. I think this is uh, a very New Testament concept that Isaiah yeah. puts out here. Lord, yeah. you will establish peace for us, for you have also done all our works in us. Yeah. So the... So the good things that we do, that's Christ working through us. That's God working through us. And that's a pretty New Testament concept of, of um, well, of Not no I longer I, I, but, uh-huh, yeah. no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. Um, this is, uh, you know, we've been talking about <laughs> uh, eternal concepts here. Um, this is kind of seeming to me like, yeah, this has been this has been the case all along that 
that when we are following God's will and doing the things that he that he desires for us, that it's him working through us. Yes. It's really it's really not us so much doing it, because even in verse 13, it talks about only by you we make uh, by you only we make mention of your name. Um, even even our praising of God, that's not I don't that's not an instinctually human uh, 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 action to take. That is what Isaiah sounds like to me, is that even even when we do that, that is God working through us and and drawing us closer to him, making us more aware of of him and and um, our need for him. But it's it's only his power that makes it possible for us to follow him because it's it's not our nature. We wouldn't do it on our own. Um, so yeah, so that was a very interesting New Testament concept buried right here in the in the middle of the Old Testament. Yep. Seventeen had some mention of birth pangs, which had me thinking of things uh, from the from the New Testament. I don't think it's a direct correlation necessarily, but um, you know, as we're looking at the end of the world and how you know when we see things starting to happen, it's like birth pangs, and we're waiting uh, as you're waiting for a child to be born. Horrible experience. Yeah, I never went through that. <laughs> Interestingly, ne- neither did my wife. We had two children, and she never had a single contraction. But th- that's a whole other story. Horrible experience. <laughs> a good a friend of ours now is uh, she's within days. I think today is actually her due date, but she's uh, she's uh, very very ready <laughs> to have a have a child. And it's been interesting seeing her experiences and her, you know, her Braxton Hicks and such. And, and we all know it's close and where everybody's just anticipating when's this baby coming, you know, and that's kind of, it's kind of what I was talking about here. It's uh, there's some extreme discomfort mm-hmm. um, uh, in store as we wait for the joy to come behind it. Is that joy, is that child rearing? I don't mean to get distracted here, but <laughs> Hey, they're pretty. They're they're okay when they're babies. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> well, as we move into um, chapter twenty-seven. Oh, hang and, on. Oh, the very last verse of chapter twenty-six, I loved. So let me just let me just read this really. So there there are so many things that have happened in this world that are corrupt. Things that we know about, things that we don't know about. For those who crave justice, verse 21 of chapter 26 is good. Um, See, the Lord is coming out of his dwelling to punish the people of the earth for their sins. The earth will disclose the blood shed on it. The earth will conceal its slain no longer. Mm-hmm. Justice will happen. If you're looking for fairness out of the human experience, you probably won't find it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because this 26 is ending and moving into 27. It's even talking to what I'm going to call the righteous people. Hide yourself because this stuff is coming. You know, get yourself kind of get yourself out of the way from this stuff. Well, gosh, way back when. uh Oh, I'm forgetting the names of the people that got swallowed up, but back and then, yeah, when Moses is like, get away from them, yep. just move away from them because there is judgment coming on them and you don't want to be anywhere near it and you don't want to be associated with it because if you're too close to them, it's going to come on you too. 
and it, that that's kind of the way I'm seeing the end of chapter 26 because of uh, of just just remove yourself from that stuff, the judgment that is coming on that. You don't want any part of it. Just get away from it. Yep. Because yeah, like it says there to the end, um, um, the earth will disclose her blood and no how to and will no more cover her slain. I mean, it's like. What's coming, what's coming is, is, uh, it's, it's harsh, it's ugly, it's, uh, it's not pleasant, and you don't want to be in the middle of it. Then, so then as we move into 27, it uses some other interesting figurative language talking about Leviathan and punishing Leviathan. And I was looking in some of the notes here in my, in my cultural relevance, relevance Bible, um, where Leviathan I guess, you know, it may have been some sort of literal sea creature, but here it seems like it's talking, it's using it figuratively as um, as a, a figure of chaos, where this, uh, in, in the region, in the areas at the time, the sea monsters, there were a lot of creatures thought of mythologically as representing chaos. And so here it seems like maybe... Isaiah is borrowing some of that with Leviathan and where there's going to be this punishment of, of Leviathan. And as the end comes, God will bring order by, by doing away with that chaos, which I, you know, even I guess, you know, you can look at some of the, even the Greek mythology and see some of that. I mean, you've got the old Titans and stuff like that, but um, you know, that's a whole, it's kind of a different thing, but, um, but yeah, this idea that God is going to bring order by getting rid of the chaos. And then as we get into a section that was titled The Restoration of Israel, we see imagery of a vineyard being kept by God. And verse 4 I thought was kind of neat. There was a there's a, ver- a part here of verse 4 uh, where he says, fury is not in me. That's an interesting, when we're talking about all of this, well, I guess, I mean, really we're talking about destruction and and things just being torn down. But God's... It's like God is saying, I'm not I'm not just doing this because I'm angry. I'm not I'm not lashing out. This is not it's not that it's not just God being angry. He, he remains sensible. He remains um, thoughtful and and uh, keeps that. I mean, that kind of idea of of this furious, angry God is just uh, sort of wiped away with with that verse. Mm, I would I would take that a step further and say, okay. so the part that's in quote marks that God said starts at the end of verse two. Mm-hmm. Sing about a fruitful vineyard. I, the Lord, watch over it. I water it continually. I guard it day and night so that no one may harm it. I am not angry. If only there were briars and thorns confronting me, I would march against them in battle. I would set them all on fire. Or let them come to me for refuge. Let them make peace with me. Yes, let them make peace with me. Mm-hmm. So it's like, this is his, you know, what does it say? Uh, Jesus talked about like, I, are, I am the vine, you are the branches. The father is the vine dresser, you know, this this kind of thing. And by your fruit, you will know them. There's this whole sort of concept of a functional vineyard, which I, I thought of when I was reading this. And where God tends the vineyard and cares for it. 
And because he's tending it and caring for it, there aren't even briars and thorns that he can be furious at. Like this vineyard is under his care. He's given it everything it needs and it still isn't producing. Mm-hmm. This is disappointment. He's not angry. He's disappointed. Mm-hmm. That's the way I took it. Yeah, he's uh, he's just doing he's just trying to do what he can to to make everything right, make everything work. And and um Everything he's done up to this point has just been ignored and and uh, set aside. Even to the point, uh, verse 5, where he talks about, if, you know, I think if I'm reading it correctly, yeah. Uh, anybody who comes to him and, how does it put it, take take hold of his strength, he would he would make peace with him. And, and, and uh, it sounds like God would be totally accepting of it. You know, if you would just come to me, if you just come to me and... And let me be your strength. Let me be your 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 salvation. Salvation. Then it would be fine. It would be great. I would love to have you. Is kind of the way I take that. And uh, so even 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 God's enemies, He's got compassion for, and that is fascinating to me. This isn't His enemy. Like my Bible has a a heading over chapter twenty seven that says this is talking about the deliverance of Israel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not talking about some enemy nation who's actively well, like that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah, he's just talking about yeah, you guys. I've been working with you for so long. If you just come over here, if you mm-hmm. just come over here. I've given you everything you need to thrive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And because they haven't, because they haven't, and even though God hasn't dealt with them quite the same way as He has with all those surrounding nations, I mean, some of them get absolutely wiped out. Um, he's like, he's like, this is why you're getting sent away. This is why you are going to go into captivity. This is why you have to be taken away from all this stuff that that uh, you have taken as being so important and so, you know, you, you've clung on to all the wrong things. I got to take all that away from you. And uh, he goes on talking about how, okay, so now all those things, you know, the altar stones are going to get crushed. The wooden images and incense altars won't stand anymore. Your fortified city is going to be desolate. All of that stuff that you have kept working with and leaning on, you're not going to have it anymore. It's gone. But it does still talk about uh, how God's mercy is going to be gone for the the ones that that he made, which is an interesting phrase here, too. And I take that to be people who, if you continue... If you continue to not come to me, if you continue to just sit there in your stew or however you want to put it, there's nothing else I can do. I can't do anything else for you. And so that's what I was talking about when he says God's mercy is gone. But then he talks about the children of Israel will be gathered uh, earlier on. It's earlier here. It was talking about how people could be grafted would be those who come. He shall cause to take root in Jacob. Verse six. If you will, if you will come, you'll be part of that. You can be part of that of Israel. So I think that's talking about us now too. We are we're not Jewish. None of us are Jewish. I don't think any of us have any Jewish blood in us. But we're part of that. We are considered Israel if we are following God's will and coming to Him and seeking Him and trying to be in His graces. And it it, it finishes off talking about how a trumpet will be blown and then 
uh, uses uh, Syria and Egypt and talks about how even they will worship the Lord. The people who have who have uh, answered that trumpet call will be worshiping God as well. And that basically wraps up our reading for this week. That's the end of chapter 27. So, you know, final thoughts. We've got a got a God that wants to save us. He's he 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 will do what it's necessary to correct us. Um, but he would far rather see us just come to him and be uh, uh, leaning on him and and taking advantage of the goodness that he's provided for us. It's right there just to be had, and that's what he and that's what he wants. And he'll uh, he he's uh, he's just waiting for us. This yeah, point. this stuff is really big picture. Mm-hmm. Really big picture. This is like this is like chess pieces on a giant board. Like right. moving a nation here, moving a nation there. Nope, you're 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 sacrificed. We're moving past you. You had your you had your chance. Now you're removed from the board. We're moving on. Right. And yet, there's always it ends with that promise where you, Israel, will be gathered up one by one. Yeah. So I I it's some grim stuff, and I do think it applies to us today. I mean, the specifics of, you know, the last couple of weeks have been like judgment on Assyria and judgment on Cush and judgment on this and that and the other, and it was all local nations. But then it gets to judgment on the whole earth and then mm-hmm. the salvation of Israel and what that will look like. Right. And we get we get to be grafted into, into Israel, so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. A, a spiritual Israel of sorts, I guess you could call it. So yeah, that will wrap it up for us this week. Next week we will read Second Kings chapter eighteen and Second Chronicles twenty nine through thirty one. It'll be a little bit of a shorter reading, but uh, the following week we're going to get into Hosea for a couple of weeks. So uh, we'll get more context of where we're sitting in the in the Kings of Chronicles. But while you're waiting for that, remember you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. You can look us up on Facebook. Be sure you share the podcast with your friends and family and relatives. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that we can reach you in your feed each and every week. We look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks for listening.